you share with us the most common reasons that water birth may actually reduce some of those occurrences? We're not adding the aspect of gravity, which if I have bones at right angles to each other, a shoulder and a pubic bone, gravity is not my friend at this point. Sometimes it can be your friend if the dystocia is somewhere different than a shoulder. But either way, you've got to you've got to move a baby and having that lack of gravity in a water birth setting makes it so much easier to rotate. And Richard, it turns out, has the gift of of dystocia resolution. And he came over and he knew what to do. And he 18 seconds had that baby out. I am a student midwife and uh, looking to become a full midwife here by the year end. You've attended over 600 births and you have never induced a woman yet? One time. I'm Cynthia Overgaard, owner of Hypnobirthing of Connecticut, childbirth advocate, and postpartum support specialist. And I'm Trisha Ludwig, certified nurse midwife and international board-certified lactation consultant. And this is the Down to Birth podcast. Childbirth is something we're made to do, but how do we have our safest and most satisfying experience in today's medical culture? Let's dispel the myths and get down to birth. My name is Lisa Marie. I'm a licensed midwife here in California, deeply mentored by Barbara Harper. So I focus on water birth in my practice for sure, and all the different ways that that it can affect a birth in the home birth setting. Uh, My name is Richard Oxenham, and I am Lisa Marie's main assistant in the work that we do together as a team and have done so now for almost nine years. I am a student midwife as well and uh, looking to become a full midwife here by the year end. And you're married. Yes. Yes, we are. <laughs> okay. So that's, that's a nice little detail. What a team. What a team. Can you guys, can you share with us how many water births you have attended? Sure. Together we've done over now 450. So we know in this episode, you want to explain to us and to our listeners, the ways in which water birthing makes home birthing safer or even safer. And we're going to get into all the details around your knowledge with that. But just briefly, to satisfy all the curiosity of our listeners, um, Richard, can you explain what midwife means and how few of you men, to <laughs> your knowledge, are midwives? Well, the, the definition for sure is uh, to be with women in terms of the work of being a midwife, irrespective, regardless of who you are. In my work and the support that I give, I'm able to bring a facet to our work that's unique, of course, for sure. And uh, it's primarily uh, first and foremost is to support Lisa Marie in the work that she's providing so that she can stay focused and really be available to our clients and the, and the people that we work with. And secondarily, it is to be able to support uh, the partners that are a part of the pregnancy and the birth process. We want to make sure that we incorporate and take care of everybody involved. So Lisa, can you start to share with us a little bit about your water birth experience and the knowledge that you have gained along the way, um, particularly the ways in which birth in the water is potentially a safer alternative than out of the water? Yes. I'm willing to be radical and say that I think it's safer on many levels. For me, I first got introduced giving birth in water back in 1991 when midwives were underground and you just had to know somebody who who knew one. And we were, well, my midwives let me rent their horse trough because we didn't have 
I'm sure the birth, the aqua doula birth tub was the only one that I know of that existed back then, but I couldn't afford that. So having come from a trauma background of sexual abuse, emotional, you just name it. I had pretty much all of it. My father had died when I was 17. My grandmother had birthed all 19 of her children. Well, except for three at home. So I grew up listening to Waterbirth stories. She came here from Mexico. And I remember having that part of my psyche normalized. You give birth at home because she was so confident about all her birth stories until the last three. This was in the fifties. Remember when birth associated with sterility was considered progressive and her coming from Jalisco, it was considered, I'm going to be modern. And she regretted that. She told me because it was scary and she didn't like being on her back. So that was the one thing that I felt very convinced about. I think growing up was, that's just what you do. I never thought I would do it in terms of helping women do it, but here we are. So that started my passion for water birth without any training really much. I was already a birth educator back then at 19 or 20, 22 when I gave birth. So I was very opinionated as a birth worker, just really wanted to protect women. Then it morphed into protecting babies and water birth seems to provide for all of that. We were so passionate in our practice of getting, and this is where Richard comes in handy because he's very sagacious. And when it comes to women's stories that come from severe trauma backgrounds and how water birth helped them feel covered, floaty, and at the same time in control of their bodies because they can move easier, especially for my, my bigger mamas. They really like that. They can be, I've had 350 pound moms give birth beautifully at home. I think there's something to the weightlessness in water that also lifts the emotional weight. It's like that, that physical weightlessness, that sensation somehow transmutes into like a, a lightening of everything, a, a lessening. That's a really great point because when you are, especially when you are burdened with trauma, whether it's sorted or not in your body, sometimes it feels weighty. So that's what you're focusing on and you feel that discomfort and you get into water and you're able to actually locate where you're feeling your cervix. You can feel your baby descending. It does. It just kind of mitigates other things that contribute to your interpretation of your experience. And we're so radical about this that it has extended way back, way back to the birth team meeting, having who's going to be present has to come to a class that we conduct at 37 weeks. And we're pretty, we're pretty firm on this. If you want your mother-in-law and your sister's boyfriend and his pregnant girlfriend to come to the birth, they all have to come to this class because through educating them, we can still protect her space because we're going to be quiet and we're going to let her catch her own baby. We're not even the word let we really insist that, that we're just servants. We're just coming in under you, under your history, under your trauma, sorted or not, so that she can have her experience. It's not about us. So we don't have ego. We don't care about catching a baby. So I did that and then met Barbara. I was already a student midwife, already very big on water birth. So we have this confidence in being so about this. I can be chill. My nervous system is always in check when the baby's coming and I don't have that sense of panic. And we want to extend that deeper knowing to our, our clients that we're helping so that they can have all this confidence. We show, I have a hundred slideshow presentation we do at 37 weeks. It's broken down to home birth etiquette. Thank you to Jessica Bingaman for that idea. 
and it morphs into her expectations. What would you like? Do you want a video? Do you want photos? Are they allowed to photo with their phones, your friends that are here? Um, and coaching dad on a couple of things. And it goes into all the scenarios, huh? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he, he teaches like half the class or actually all of it. Yeah. yeah. We cover transports. We just cover all the whole gamut so that everybody's there, especially our family feels really confident and empowered to step towards the experience that they are desiring to have. And there's video clips of all this. I have video clips of dystocias. I have video clips of different kinds of cord wraps with the mothers unwrapping them. And it's by the time we're done, by the time we get to our final video, which shows a baby taking 75 full seconds to take its first breath. And she's looking around at her mom. She's so happy, but it's a hot day. So like the Wharton's jelly is still staying liquid. There's just no prompting her. And then she finally does a little, eh, eh, and then takes her first breath. It's beautiful. And she's never without O2 because that cord is just dark and happy. Can you share with us the most common reasons that mothers may be fearful of giving birth at home or the most common complications that are a kind of childbirth emergencies um, or complications that happen at home and talk, uh, talk to us about how water birth may actually reduce some of those occurrences? Yeah, I think for a lot of folks that they feel, you know, our culture has done such a, a sad job of framing the whole narrative. And right. given that, uh, we come into the whole spectrum of, of beliefs about what a home birth might look like. And frankly, what our expertise or lack thereof that we bring uh, to the situation. So I think the major aspect of, of what people have is just a lack of knowledge of what actually it entails. And that's why we try so hard just to normalize it knowing what to do if something goes wrong, because that's always the major question is what are you going to do if, you know, mom bleeds or what are you going to do? Bleeding is a big one. If something, uh, you know, the baby, the baby uh, won't breathe, the baby has issues and things of that nature. And so we do a lot of work to get them educated uh, about those elements, but also how to be uh, preventative and be proactive in how they care for themselves so that when it comes that time that they're more than fine. Uh, to know that that's, those aren't going to be major issues. A lot of people don't know midwives carry full equipment. They don't realize that I can suture, but I also numb it with lidocaine and sodium bicarb. So it doesn't even burn and that it's gentle. They always think that we can't sew, that we'd have to transport for that. And so once we say, well, actually bleeding can be prevented most of the time. I haven't had a significant bleed in a long time. I can't even remember the last one because of what we've done to work on preventing it. And would you attribute that to um, laboring in the water? I would absolutely attribute part of it to that because I know Barbara Harper talks a lot about the science behind how, even when you're on your cycle, if you get into a swimming pool and you can feel your cycle kind of abate for a while, we have a theory that from a predatory standpoint, if a woman is bleeding and she's in water, she's at risk of, of attracting predators to her or even right (laughs) sharks exactly because they can smell how many miles not to go snorkeling when you have your period (laughs) so you had mentioned that water birthing in particular at home increases the likelihood of a a safe outcome for mother and baby and lessens the likelihood of a hospital transfer and i know you have things to say about shoulder dystocia trauma tearing the cord we we can't wait to hear about some of those things so um, which one would you like to start with? Just explaining how water birthing makes any of those potential risks lesser. Let's 
touch briefly on trauma because that's okay. a big one. Okay. I would say that in a water birth, what we've noticed with our mamas is that once they get into water, they're able to open up. It's just a whole change in their nervous system and they feel safe and covered. So then they're able to continue to let baby descend and let things dilate. So that's a big one is just the sense of being covered and not being watched and being upright so that her, her yoni is more downward. Nobody's taking pictures of it. You know, sometimes that happens even in home birth. I've seen some, some um, interesting situations. What's a yoni? Vagina. <laughs> yoni is a vagina. Is the word for the tantric. Tan, the, was it tantric or what is the? Yeah. It's a tantric, yeah it's a I know the word. I know the word. I just felt it was worth explaining. <laughs> of course. And it means like life bearer. It's something very sacred and beautiful. Whereas vagina is Greek and means the sheath of a sword. A lot of people don't know that, that we're relegated to a, a verb. For, for something else. So I like Yoni for many reasons. And Fry hunted the world to find that word and finally settled on Yoni in her medical text. Well, if the vagina is the sheath, it only makes you wonder what the sword is. So then the, right? So the sheath is, is only defined in relation to the, By the sword. sword. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> oh, that's funny. I know some people like the medical terms and children want to be, you want to normalize it for them, but it wants to know what it means. They can have a choice. Well, now that we know what it means, we might think differently. <laughs> I don't, I don't know the term vagina. I try not to for that reason. And plus that's internal, right? I mean, we teach our children that we teach girls that this is your vagina, but really they can't see their vagina. That's internal. It's really their vulva. And we've been misusing it since <laughs> I don't know how long. So we do need to get the record straight, but we certainly don't want to uh, define it in terms of uh, being a sheath to a sword. That's for darn sure. Um, so. <laughs> Okay. So trauma is one that you have observed. Um, I think that water breath can be safer, not fears, but safer. Right. One of them is the cord. So cord avulsion, I do know is a thing I see often in videos on Instagram or people's stories at the hospital uh, where the cord breaks and then baby's going to lose all that blood that was vamped into the placenta in a water birth setting specifically. We, we, educate our moms on that really important pause of the restitution when that head wants to turn to the side to line those the, the shoulders up in the anterior posterior diameter and we've shown the three planes of the of the pelvis at the birth team meeting so then we're like how cool look and the shoulders are now lined up and so they know that that can be an important pause to not to not listen to their body more that not to override their body by thinking oh i got to get the baby out like this feels, you know, and just being, being more cerebral about their birth. This is a reason not to be cerebral, but to be in your body in these moments. Once the baby's out, let's say it's a, we've had cords twice or three times around the neck, an arm wrapped down and then hooked on the foot. If you just pull that, that up, you could cause a placental abruption or partial anyway, or just break the cord. Or even just that scary feeling for mom, that big adrenaline rush, it feels tight, everything's stuck, and she's scared. So I show videos of, especially on a, scorf, a scarf cord, you know, where the cord just drapes behind the neck. The moms just are sliding it down the baby. How does water birthing make that situation safer? Because we have more time. Since the baby is staying under the water, and we haven't turned on the breathing reflex by exposure of the trigeminal nerve to the head, I have time to sort the baby. Baby's continuing to get all that good oxygen from the cord. This is assuming it's a good baby. Of course, if baby is... A what baby? 
good babies got what do you mean by good reserves good reserves okay okay i heard that way wrong <laughs> yeah the baby looks i'm awful. relieved <laughs> they say uh andrew huberman uh, would say that the eyes are the only organ that are not separate from the brain they're part of the nervous system it's yeah. like staring at you and not moving that's not a good thing we're going to bring those babies right up Mm-hmm. But if, if the baby's all wiggly and doing their things, you can, you can unspin the cord and, and then do a gentle birth into the atmosphere, just like a land birth provides. Ironically, we're trying to replicate a land birth in a water birth setting. That's kind of what we're doing. We're trying to normalize water birth enough where people realize there's two births in a water birth. There's the birth out of the mother, but that's not the birth. That's just half. The most important part, of course, is then introducing that you're young into the atmosphere. And if we're just whipping all these water babies out and slam them into all those things, Barbara Harper lists, the nitric oxide, the gravity, the um, the O2, all the things that they've never experienced before, it can be it can be kind of scary for a baby. So ours are very gentle. That's why on my videos, they look a certain way that way. So so what you're saying overall here is that by giving birth in the water, because the baby's face is not exposed to the oxygen and nitrous oxide the pause between the birth of the baby's head and the rest of the baby's body can be much longer than in a non-water birth where as soon as the head is out, we're already starting to stimulate those uh, receptors in the face. Right. We have more time to wait on the baby and the natural process there. Hey there, all you amazing, strong, and beautiful women, especially you new moms and moms-to-be. I'm Taylor, co-founder and CEO of Vitality. And I'm Taylor's sister, Chloe, co-founder and chief design officer. We started Vitality to encourage and empower everyone to live a vibrant life. We're all about supporting women, especially on the journey to motherhood. When I was pregnant, I really struggled to find comfy leggings that I could wear all day, every day. So we set out to make the best maternity pants out there. We took those pain points and designed pieces that were supportive and comfortable, including details like a high-rise fit, underbelly seam, raw cut hems, and to top it off, we have an embedded silicone panel that acts like a built-in suspension system for your low back, which is the first of its kind. So we designed this line in our Marshmallow Soft Cloud 2 fabric in not only a maternity pant, but a volley and biker short as well. Let me tell you, all of these pieces are a game changer. Just go to shopvitality.com and cherry on top, you guys can use code down to birth at checkout to get 10% off your order. 10% off athleisure designed for pregnancy during pregnancy. Down to birth is sponsored by Postpartum Soothe. Recovering from a vaginal birth takes many women by surprise. Everyday activities like sitting, walking, and going to the bathroom can be uncomfortable. And Postpartum Soothe is just the remedy to support your healing and relieve discomfort. Postpartum Soothe is a 100% organic herbal blend that's applied to maternity pads in the days immediately following your birth, giving you all the benefits of a sitz bath 24-7. That's because herbs like comfrey leaf, uva ursi, and witch hazel are known for their antimicrobial and anti-inflammatory properties. Postpartum Soothe can be prepared anytime during the third trimester, and it makes a beautiful baby gift. It's a must for any woman seeking a faster, easier recovery from a vaginal birth. Visit postpartumsoothe.com. That's postpartumsoothe, S-O-O-T-H-E.com. 
and use promo code DOWNTOBIRTH. Did you know that 97% of women take a prenatal vitamin, yet 95% of us are still deficient in key nutrients for pregnancy and postpartum? After a long time searching for the optimal prenatal nutrition product, we bring you Needed, a radically better prenatal vitamin. Needed's nutritional products offer nutrients that your body can utilize with doses at optimal versus bare minimum levels and are available in capsules and an easy-to-take vanilla powder, perfect for those moms with pill fatigue or nausea. Needed is a woman-founded company offering a superior nutritional product lineup backed by research, data, and insights from nearly 4,000 women's health experts. Needed offers premium supplements for every stage, from egg quality support for women trying to conceive to lactation support for breastfeeding. And you know, Cynthia and I, we love their botanical sleep and relaxation support packets before bedtime. So if you are looking for a radically different prenatal, head on over to thisisneeded.com and enter down to birth for 20% off your first order. One of the complications that we may cause in childbirth, in a hospital, in a bed, wherever, is the feeling that we need to get involved and get that baby out faster because the head is out and we want to kind of tug and pull and move and that baby may not be ready. And this is one of the reasons that we can cause problems um, at the time of birth or even cause a shoulder dystocia. So imagine because- if, you're the, if you're the mother who's had that birth, they, they need to be educated that this is actually why we're not going to touch. And then they, they, it makes sense to them. And they might have some grief about the birth that they had because they realized that the doctor had pulled the baby out or did the manual rotation and then caused maybe a tear that was not necessary. So what I'm hearing is that the, um, if it's not a water birth and the head is out, the baby is now oxygen dependent, which is why there's risk now in completing the birth. If there's a cord complication or something, but when the baby is in water, the baby isn't oxygen dependent yet. Is that right? So I think we're talking about in both situations, the baby is still oxygen dependent on the cord blood coming from the, the placenta. But the difference is that when the baby is born in air on land, we, we've already triggered those first steps in um, initiating breathing. Whereas when they're born under the water, you have more time because you haven't initiated that process yet. Is that, would you agree, Lisa? I would agree. And when we're talking more time, it could be as much as four to eight minutes that I've seen heads out. And they, the babies were doing great because there was enough blood flow from the cord and they did great. And you almost never see that on a land birth. I mean, in, certainly in a hospital, maybe at a home birth, but rarely would you see a baby on the perineum for that long. Right. Dr. Rachel Reed mentioned in her midwife thinking, she talks about that it can be out even on a land birth up to five minutes, which you're still not going to see unless it's a very educated provider who realizes, oh, the cord's still doing its thing. The transition time of that reflex to breathe can be long for some babies. So they can be out with the head out. So this probably leads us to the third one. And Richard, maybe you want to start this one, but with the head out and having more time, how does a water birth make shoulder dystocia a little less risky? Well, on multiple levels. Huh? Yeah, we, we've, we've encountered this probably about a half a dozen times or so in our practice. And what we educate in council is that uh, most of the time, uh, once the head is out, we'll wait for the next contraction for the body to come. Sometimes we'll wait uh, two contractions. Okay. So whatever their contraction pattern may be, if it's two minutes apart, we'll wait a couple minutes. 
And uh, we do our best to make everybody feel comfortable with that waiting. They actually set a timer <laughs> as a team to see how it feels to wait for two minutes for something. So, uh, but if the body does not come at that point and it's a, a, a dystocia situation, then we're going to go in and, and take action physically to help do the rotation for the baby to come out. And the way that the baby's positioned inside, there's enough room to be able to make it in with a hand because uh, the baby's shoulders uh, structure is creating an opening, a vault for the hand to be able to get in to help with the rotation and help bring the baby uh, out. And so we will do that in terms of the work for the dystocia. And you would leave a, a mother in the tub to do this in the water? Absolutely. Because again, since we haven't initiated the breathing reflex, we still have extra time to be able to make sure we do a good rotation in the sense that we're getting the proper mechanics and, and the feel to be able to, to rotate and, and help the baby come out. Would you have her in a hands and knees position to do that? Yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. In terms of the dystocia, another advantage of the water is that we're not adding the aspect of gravity, which if I have bones at right angles to each other, a shoulder and a pubic bone, gravity is not my friend at this point. Sometimes it can be your friend if the dystocia is somewhere different than a shoulder. Let's say it's maybe an ischial spine or a tight ligament somewhere. But either way, you've got you've to move a baby and having that lack of gravity in a water birth setting makes it so much easier to rotate because I'm not adding all that gravity weight onto these bones that need to spin. And Richard, it turns out, has the gift of, of dystocia resolution. <laughs> I was at a birth once and I couldn't get the baby rotated. It was a big baby. And I'm like, I need help. That was the first time I've ever asked him. And he came over and he knew what to do. And he, 18 seconds, had that baby out. The thing of that as well is the fact that if, since they're on their hands and knees, you're not getting the pressure from the tailbone to actually work against you when it comes to a dystocia. Then if it was on his back. Right, because yeah. if they're on their back, then right, you've got that pressure happening as well to uh, make the, the rotation a little bit more challenging. So yes, keeping them on their hands and knees and helping with that is, is really advantageous. So what was your trick, Richard, in that situation where you got that baby out in 18 seconds? Well, uh, um, she, she was stuck in a way that uh, I was able to, like I mentioned, with the hand, with the vault being open a little bit, being able to get a hand in and helping with the rotation of, of the top shoulder with a little bit of support on the side. So by being able to continue the rotation and knowing that babies rotate to come out, I was able to get in and then help on the bottom side to just get a little bit of momentum so that the top shoulder would continue the rotation. By top, you mean posterior, right? Posterior. Yeah. In, in. Just to make sure I'm understanding um, this correctly, water birthing is safer in a shoulder dystocia situation, not only because it buys you more time, but also because the procedure of actually assisting the baby out is easier when you have water to work with. Did I hear that right? Yes. 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 And the look and, and the position of the mother. Because well, the position of the mother can be manipulated out of water or in water. So what did you mean? And the position of the mother. By the fact that she's still staying in the water and we're moving her to a position of being on her hands and knees, we still haven't initiated the breathing reflex and response. And so she's a, we're able to get in there uh, at an easier 
But that's not specific to water birthing. You would put any woman on her hands and knees in this situation, right? Yes. Yes. Okay. What he's saying is that it's easier to move, like I say, if the bigger mama, if if she wasn't on her hands and knees, it's so much easier to just flip her around when she's buoyant, especially. Ah, yep. What we've seen. That makes sense. And also what we've honestly seen in uh, non-water situations, whether it be at home or uh, in hospitals, is that they, they don't do that. They, they will try to work and try to maneuver uh, while the mom's still on their back. Finding the perfect pregnancy and breastfeeding bra is no easy task. Your search is now over. Meet Davin and Adley, a mother-owned pumping, nursing, and maternity bra company with a unique, comfortable, and stylish cropped cami. This item is perfect to wear all day long from day one of your pregnancy right through the end of your breastfeeding journey and probably beyond. The Amelia cami makes pumping and breastfeeding easy while looking and feeling good on your body. It works seamlessly for both wearable pumps and flange pumps, and you can breastfeed in it. It also has a beautiful stretch lace back. You can sleep in it, dress up in it, go out in it, whatever you want to do in it. And trust us, the quality in this item and all of their items are top notch. They're soft, durable, and attractive. These bras will truly go the distance. Davin and Adley carry a gorgeous selection of maternity and nursing wear, and they have an innovative one-piece breast pad that we've never seen anywhere else. So no more losing those solo breast pads, ladies. Go ahead and check out the full collection of maternity and nursing items at davinandadley.com. And use your promo code down to birth to save 15%. All right, breastfeeding moms, do you want to know one of our all-time favorite items for your nursing journey? If you know us, you probably could guess it. Yep, it's the Silverette Nursing Cup. These little nipple heroes not only protect, but also heal because they're made of real silver. It is naturally antimicrobial, antifungal, and anti-inflammatory. These little cups will be your best friend in the early sensitive weeks of breastfeeding your baby. And our favorite part is they last literally forever. You can pass them on just like you would a favorite piece of jewelry. Head on over to silverettusa.com and use promo code down to birth to save 15%. And all of this maneuvering with the hands inserted in the yoni is done without an episiotomy. Yes. Correct. <laughs> and would you say that the tissues, the, the perineal tissues, are they maybe a little bit more flexible in the water? Well, I'm not willing to say that. I don't okay. think that's the true thing. I think women are designed so beautifully to accommodate their babies and even to accommodate health. And I don't know. I know I asked Barbara Harper about that study where they were saying that, you know, there was more perineal yeah. tears in a water birth setting. And she's like, I'm like, this can't be, I'm not seeing this at all. She's like, Think about provider error. There's this kind of panic, even with midwives, I see it all the time, heads out. And then they're, they're all in there of rushing that last part or having mom push because one contraction did not yield the body and they panic. And then I think that could be causing that residual numbers. I don't find they tear more or maybe not even less in a water birth. It's, I think water birth just allows more comfort to take their time. Yeah. I think it's hard to know if we do find that there's less tearing in water birthing, it's hard to specifically be able to attribute it to water birthing anyway, because no woman in water will be flat on her back or her head would be submerged. So right there, she'll be less likely to tear in and of itself. 
That's interesting. So I think we've named three benefits so far. We named trauma, the shoulder dystocia, uh, cord complications. What's next? Bleeding. All right. Let's talk about bleeding. So Richard's pretty good about assessing the blood after, but I'm going to talk about how I think water birth can prevent a significant bleed. One is if I want to help avoid a deep tear, I do believe water birth is helpful that way in that she can take her time with the stretching. You can do counter support if you want. And then once that placenta is coming, there is, I think there is less bleeding, just the fact that she's in the water. I think Barbara Harper would would say the science has um, backed that premise. And I'm seeing that in my own practice. They're just not going to bleed that much. I used to be scared to do the placenta in the water. And now I'm almost the other way. Like, let's do the placenta here. This is lovely. Why does bleeding stop when we're in water? Who knows? But we do know that when you get in the water, your bleeding tends to tends to slow down. And uh, maybe it's, um, Lisa, you had said something about it maybe being a, a predatory protective benefit. Like you're always told, don't go swimming when you have your period. Don't go snorkeling with the sharks when you have your period because they smell that and they'll come after you. I'm sorry, who's going snorkeling around sharks anyway? What? Am I missing out? Me? You, of course you. I'm sure that happened. And I've done it with my period, by the way. Oh, right. <laughs> talk about it. <laughs> She's alive. I'm still here. But yeah, you're brave. Go ahead. Also, this may sound kind of not really well when the baby's up on the mother and she's able to look at her baby and she's still kind of in that floaty comfortable state i do think it also facilitates that placenta coming with ease and even once it's out she's all about all about her baby so that's going to help keep that oxytocin high which will keep that uterus contracted we are so fanatical also about we don't call anybody into the room or call family when the baby's born we're maintaining the exact same vibe that got that baby out so that she can get her placenta out and keep that uterus nice and, and hard. And so we're not moving moms out of the tub right away. We want to maintain that period of time. Yeah, I think, remember, I think that's such an important point that when the baby is born, that the birth is not over and that we don't act like the birth is over and start taking photos, calling people, sharing, getting excited, inviting people into the room. It's like that birth is not over until that placenta is born. And that might take an hour. What do you always tell people? Yeah, absolutely. We, t- we let everybody know that the pregnancy and the birth is not over until the placenta is birth. Yeah, he always says you're still pregnant. You're if still the pregnant until that time. You all, the interesting thing is you still feel pregnant. I mean, I I've birthed, my daughter was nine and a half pounds and it's fascinating to me after my son was almost nine pounds, but after each of them came out, I still found, I still felt a hundred percent pregnant. And the moment the placenta is out, you immediately don't feel pregnant at all. And it's a mystery in my own life as to how that can be. I've never heard anyone say that, that they don't have family come in yet. And I so respect that you do that because Trisha and I just, we do birth story processing sessions with women. They share their stories with us. Women need to process their stories. And it's something that we do. Um, And the last woman we met with, her baby had a very serious and lengthy shoulder dystocia. And when her baby did come out, the baby was whisked away. And she went a very long period without seeing or hearing about her baby. And and she was convinced her baby had died. And... um, when like 16 staff surrounded her and she thought they were there to give her bad news. And then one of the nurses in the back said, I just saw your baby, your baby is okay. And immediately upon feeling her relief, her placenta came out. Mm -hmm. And I think that says it all. And and the fact that you 
have that reverence. The birth isn't over. She's still in a physiologic state. It's not time to have everyone in celebrating and talking about the baby. She isn't finished. We're actually scared to interrupt that time because of that. We, yes, we specifically in, in our training of our, of our clients, we have a separate topic about placenta birthing because if they birthed previously, uh, in, especially, unfortunately, in hospitals, often the aggressiveness uh, of trying to get the placenta out has caused deep wounds and trauma mm-hmm. for them. And so we let them know what it's going to be like in this home birth setting, which is going to be 180 degrees different. And, to, and since we're talking about safety with water birth, another thing that we think that we're also not doing things to interrupt the beginning of labor. I have never induced a labor. I have never used the membrane sweep. And I tell my moms, have I gone past 42 weeks? Our law says I'm not allowed to, so I can't really directly answer that question. But I will say that the baby knows when to let labor come. We'll do other clearing things like, like some counseling or some emotional work, a massage, but we're definitely not doing the things in the pregnancy that could then make for an unsafe outcome by implication of just the intervention, which is the last safety point of a water birth. If you have a mother in a tub, good luck with trying to get too handsy with her. There's something about the barrier of the, the water itself that says, hmm, she's got, you know, I've got this, please stay away. That's her and space. That's her space. That's her little bubble. And I'm so- even- more and more hands off it, the more I learn. You've attended over 600 births and you have never induced a woman yet? Not one time. Did you ever determine a woman had all the usual rhetoric, IUGR, baby too big, placenta failing? Okay, we have to transfer you out of our care to a hospital for an induction? We just had um, actually two IUGRs last year. And we actually will specifically rule out IUGR and take on these women. We'll do a scan and then we do a redo at 48 hours and then one seven days later. And if we can track growth, then yeah. And these babies are perfect. And they weren't even properly diagnosed. They just said, oh, your baby's small. Well, so as- they, they transferred into your care, right? We are seeing so much of that. Just now it's like every woman has IUGR just because her baby's approaching the 10th percentile on an inaccurate late third right. trimester ultrasound. That gets into dating, which isn't, which we try to tell moms, if you're going to have another baby with us, do not get an early ultrasound at all. Just protect your baby. And we've seen the flip side too. I'm, I'm looking, thinking back in the nine years we've worked together and all the stories we've heard of previous births where, oh, we have to induce because the baby's too big, baby's too large. And then we always ask the follow-up question, of course, well, how big was your baby (laughs) when it was born? And it is never, and I mean, never in nine years been the number that everybody was claiming it was going to be. Yeah. Right. Ultrasound research shows that ultrasound is not only a terrible indicator for fetal weight. And by the way, footnote, fetal weight isn't correlated to birth outcomes. Fetal positioning is. But even so, um, when they look at bell curves of the estimated weight versus the real weight, it is skewed. Uh, The ultrasound usually overestimates fetal weight. It's not an evenly distributed bell curve where it's necessarily plus or minus one and a half to two pounds. They're usually overstating it. But again, the whole premise that weight is the factor, the concern that therein lies the risk to women because they buy that, um, that fallacy. So they're, they're, you know, they do these ultrasounds. So you're right. There's no, we don't say a correlation to size and outcome. Just such an important conversation. I'm so glad we're having it because these are the big fears around home birth. 
once people understand these things, home birth becomes so much more, um, you know, you can trust it so much more. It feels so much safer. It feels like, oh, well, we're all worried about these very rare, uncommon things, outliers. And now when we talk about uh, that, we have the tools to manage them and we do the steps to prevent them from happening in the first place. Mm -hmm. I mean, the most common reason that home birth ends up in the hospital is simply because of maternal exhaustion, not because of all these other things that we're talking about. Yeah. Do you believe there's anyone for whom home birth is not appropriate? Yes, we have an actual grading scale of consult when we go into consultations of uh, the different elements that we think are important as it relates to where they're at in this process. The number one uh, red flag for us is trying to escape another uh, experience, primarily a hospital birth. I love that. That's so interesting. Can you say more about that? Well, you know, uh, and we saw this dramatically during COVID. And and unfortunately, you know, with such a small practice, it broke our hearts because we could only help, you know, so few because of, of the work that we do and how we do it. But the amount of, oh, you know, we're not being seen. We don't know anybody. We, you know, we, we can't have anybody in all that was a major thing during that time. But even before and after that, now, a lot of it is, you know, something I'm just afraid of hospitals. I'm afraid of doctors. I'm afraid of the medical and uh, I, I don't want to be there. And that is the driver for wanting to not do that. And so therefore home birth is considered an option. And we, we don't find getting, trying to get away from something to try to, to be the reason why you do something going forward. Are there any other um, clinical conditions that you would just sort of like rule out? Um, for, for us in our practice, of course, we can only, we have dictates in our state of how we can practice and, and what the parameters are between 37 and 42 weeks. We can't do breach or twins at home unless a doctor's present. One final question. How do you feel about water birth outside of the home, such as these wild births where women give birth in the river, in the lake, in the ocean? What do you think about all that? I've been seeing it. I think they're super neato. (laughs) You know, I mean, I don't, if you're just trying to do it to be different or to stand out because you have a following, whatever, but the ones I've seen, the women seem to be one with nature in those settings. I think it's awesome. If that's what she wants, do it. I saw an ocean once, one that seemed a little uncomfortable because there was sand everywhere. And like, maybe that's not a <laughs> big idea. waves and surfers going by. <laughs> <laughs> what generic advice do you have for all listeners? Oh, just irrespective of where they plan to give birth. I would say, take responsibility for your birth. Richard says this all the time to the moms so that you have no regrets. Learn to say no. And hospital policy is not a law against you. You can say, no, you're hiring your provider, whether it's a midwife or a hospital. Say no and be firm. Just say, I don't, the magic term. I tell people, get do the prayer pause. Just tell your provider, we would like to pray about that. doesn't matter your faith. The routine haplock is against my religion. <laughs> <laughs> it scares everybody when you say, we want to do the prayer pause. Everybody will That's back. excellent. I love that it. Excellent. Good advice. Or they can lower their, their nervous system. Tune into their baby and then make a decision based on what feels right to her. There's nobody who's the boss of her body. 
except for the birth mother herself. She knows. So claim your birth, but take responsibility. It's a big responsibility. Thanks for joining us at the Down to Birth Show. You can reach us at Down to Birth Show on Instagram or email us at contact at downtobirthshow.com. All of Cynthia's classes and Trisha's breastfeeding services are held live, online, serving women and couples everywhere. Please remember this information is made available to you for educational and informational purposes only. It is in no way a substitute for medical advice. For our full disclaimer, visit downtobirthshow.com slash disclaimer. Thanks for tuning in. And as always, hear everyone and listen to yourself. Because it breaks our heart, just like you were saying. It breaks my heart when we have a birth prep meeting. They invite their moms. I don't care how long ago they birthed. We always ask for birth stories. We want to know your birth stories. And what does mom do? It was 41 years ago. She can tell you details Mm -hmm. like it was yesterday. It's amazing. Because of what they're carrying.